0: Well, good morning once again. Uh, My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's an honor and joy to be with you, preaching God's word to you. Uh, So, if you got a Bible with you, let me invite you to join me in Colossians chapter two. We're going to be looking at the verses that Christina just read, which are sixteen to twenty-three. If you are new, we are jumping back into this series that we began back in February throughout Uh, the letter to the Colossians. Uh, Last week we observed Holy Week, looking at Palm Sunday, moving into Good Friday, and finally Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And so now we jump back into our current sermon series, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, If it's okay with you, I'd love to dig into our time because we need a bit of a reminder or a bit of a review on some of what we're headed, where we're headed in just a moment. Uh, So some of you know, some of you don't. I'm one of four boys. Um, my brothers and I were uh, pretty much raised, we raised one another, but we were also uh, certainly raised by our, our mom. And she taught us how to how to cook and take care of our home. She would teach us from an early age what it meant to uh, enjoy cooking for certainly yourself and also one another. But she also told us about the, the importance of food and flavor. And uh, when it came to method and certainly spices, those were the game changers in the kitchen. She always told us that when we went into the kitchen, we needed to have fun. And uh, on occasion, uh, my mom would have to go back to, to Mexico to visit family or to take care of our, our grandma. And uh, my dad would stay behind with my brothers and I because he was, he was off on the weekend and, and we had off from school. And so uh, it, was, it was always an interesting time when it was just my brothers and I along with our father. Uh, My dad served in the army. He was drafted during Vietnam, and he learned many things during his time in the military. And uh, two of the things, which are two dishes that he learned in the military, were were these these meals that were handed out to American troops. And uh, I can't Repeat the names of these meals because it would not be nice. But one of those meals was uh, ground beef cooked in gravy and served over two slices of bland bread. Uh, It was okay once we started to improve upon it a little bit. But at the beginning, the idea was that it was supposed to be a filler, it was supposed to be heavy. Nevertheless, it was kind of gross. Um, The next meal was my dad would say, man, have you ever had Spam? And he'd like open up these cans of this meat and he'd slice into it and he'd fry it on the pan and he'd throw some random ingredients on there, uh, I guess similar to what they did back in the 60s while he was in the military. Then he would throw this on and all my brothers and I would think is this is nothing but high-calorie salt. (laughs) And ever since, I have hated spam. Now, if you like spam, if that's your thing, cool. You, you enjoy being weird. I don't like spam. I hated it after learning about it. Because at the same time, like, I know the can says it has six ingredients, but does it really? Okay, does it really have six ingredients? At one point, spam was known as, quote, mystery meat that does not like affirm any kind of confidence uh, for me. In addition to that, spam isn't good for you, right? Uh, Do you keep your spam emails? No, you trash them, you delete them. So when it comes to spam, you trash it because it's terrible. Nevertheless, as my brothers and I got older and a lot more comfortable in the kitchen and certainly around a fire or a grill, we would cook these large dishes for our family, serving one another, and much of that continues uh, today. And in this little pantry in my parents' kitchen, uh, the cans of Spam stayed. They were probably still there. Um, but when my mom would go out of town, and if we were with my pops, and he'd be like, "Do you want something to eat?" We would say, "No, we don't want anything to eat." And my brothers and I would secretly converse with one another, saying, "Why would we eat spam when we have steak?" And that's somewhat similar to our text this morning. As we dive back into our study in Colossians, we're seeing an influence of a teach of a teaching called syncretism. Okay. It's a teaching called syncretism. And syncretism is a combination of several beliefs mixed in together. If you want to walk away with one thing, I hope you walk away with more. But if you want to walk away with one thing, just remember, syncretism is spam. Pretty easy. Syncretism is spam. And the Apostle Paul is essentially telling the Colossian Christians, why would you eat spam when you have steak? And so before we enter into the text this morning, I want to pray briefly, and then I want to look at a a quick review of where we have been in Colossians, and this review is actually going to help our understanding of today's text. So let me quickly pray, and then we'll dive into that first word of verse 16 that reads, Therefore. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning in worship, uh, would you, uh, through your Spirit, Um, convict us, challenge us? Would you comfort us through your word? Would, as we dive into your word, would would we please come to know Jesus better? And if there are those who are with us who don't know him, may they come to know Jesus this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would be sweeter than honey. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in, in us this morning for your glory and our good. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna give you a bit of review of what's going on uh, and then certainly where we have been. And so Paul begins verse 16 with the word therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, it is usually connected to the previous text. So let us go back to verses six and eight, right? I'll read them very briefly to you. Therefore, or excuse me, 6 through 8, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Paul goes on to use this language of receiving Christ and then walking in Christ. And Throughout the entire letter to the Colossians, Paul has been reminding them of what God has done for them in Christ Jesus, namely that through Jesus' blood, he has purchased the Colossians out of their slavery, out of their bondage to their sin, and has reconciled them to the Father. And as a result of receiving this faith, as a result of receiving Christ Jesus, they are now a new creation. And so Paul says, walk in him. The word walk implies a lifestyle that it is the core of who you are and your character. That is not merely the act of moving forward, but it is the essence of moving forward in light of who you are. That it is habitual, it is daily practice. So to be rooted and built up and established is to walk in Christ, to walk in this newness of life. Additionally, Paul says that as we walk in this new life, that we are to abound in thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is the result of praise for what God has done for the believer. That their entire life is shaped with thanksgiving because they are regularly, constantly, not simply walking in Christ, but giving him thanks for what he has done for them and who he is now called them and made them to be. And the same is said for us as Christians today. As you continue into verse 8, Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That word see to it or that phrase see to it, Paul is saying, hey, it is your responsibility now as you have received Christ. As you are walking in this faith, as you are walking in Christ, make sure that you are not taken captive by a different gospel. Make sure that you are not held up with something different than what has been proclaimed to you. Paul reminds them in this short review of the centrality of the gospel and of the sufficiency of Christ. Because when you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. When you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. Additionally, in verse 6, he opens with, therefore. So that tells us something about what he says previously. Namely, the end of chapter 1 through the beginning of chapter 2. And in that section, Paul is essentially revealing his heart for the Colossians as he proclaims Christ, reminding them of their maturity and how they are to mature one another and mature in their faith. That they are to mature one another by proclaiming Christ, teaching and warning everyone so that they may be presented as mature. That's chapter 1, verse 28. Additionally, Paul reveals his heart for them, that the point of his letter to them is so that their hearts would be strengthened, that they as a church would be knit together, and that they would have full assurance in Christ as they grow in Christ. And so in light of everything that Paul has been saying from the end of chapter one into the middle of chapter two, we now come to to our text today, in verses 16 to 23, he wants them. He wants their hearts encouraged. He wants them to proclaim Christ. He wants them to grow in their maturity in Christ. He wants them to make sure. <clears throat> he wants them to make sure that uh, they are uh, not being held or taken captive by a different teaching. And so now we walk into 16 and 20, or 16 to 23. And in this section, uh, or up until now I should say, Paul has been dropping hints about the issue in this church. This issue is known as the Colossian heresy. I I talked a little bit about this in the first week, but it is known as the Colossian heresy, and no one knows exactly what it is, uh, but the Apostle Paul has mentioned a few things throughout the time as he's written to the Colossians, and in this section of our time this morning, we see that Paul writes the most about this heresy. We see the most about this synchronistic teaching. And what we know is that these false teachers in Colossae were preaching Jesus and something else. Let me pause right there. Remember, syncretism is a bunch of different beliefs, a melting pot of beliefs put into one. It's spam, all right? Syncretism is spam. We don't like spam, right? And so when it comes to syncretism, what they are preaching, what these false teachers are, are, are proclaiming, is Jesus and something else else. And what they are claiming is that the something else would be what would actually give Christians true spirituality. It is what would make them true believers. And this is what Paul is writing to the Colossians to be on guard for, to warn them. And so in this review, here's what I want you to know. Paul tells us that the sufficiency of Christ is enough because the sufficiency of Christ is met in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. So let's continue into the text. We've already talked about the word therefore. Here's what I want you to know. We're going to break this down into three sections. In this first section, we're going to look at the shadows versus the substance. And what I want you to know is that I do not want you to substitute the substance for the shadow. I do not want you to substitute the substance for the shadow. So here we go. Verse 16. Paul begins by saying, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And so that little phrase, past judgment, uh, what, what he means is that these false teachers were communicating God's judgment to the Colossians, that they were criticizing them heavily for not uh, restricting themselves from food and drink, annual rituals, monthly and weekly rhythms. In other words, if these Christians did not observe these rhythms from the Mosaic law that we see in the Old Testament, particularly in chapters such as Leviticus 6 and Leviticus 24, if they did not observe these practices or rhythms or rituals, then they were not true believers. They would impose and even say that these Christians lacked obedience to God and that he was not fully pleased with them. Paul goes on to say in verse 17, these, that is the rhythms, right? The the Sabbath, a weekly rhythm, a new moon, a monthly rhythm, the festivals, annual rhythms. These rhythms are a shadow of the things to come. Paul warns the Colossians by telling them that these rhythms from the Mosaic law were nothing but shadows or pointers that point us to the one who was to come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying these rhythms are obsolete, that at one point they would come to an end, that at one point they would be fulfilled. Elsewhere, Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And so what Paul is saying, what Paul is exhorting them on is to make sure that, hey, no one is criticizing you. No one is bringing condemnation on you regarding these rhythms or rituals or traditions that actually have already been fulfilled. They have been fulfilled in Christ. And so in verse 17, Paul continues, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul says not to substitute substance for the shadows. And what, or in this case, who is the substance? Christ, Jesus, The word substance here can be translated into body, which implies that Paul is saying that you as the people of God, as the body, you belong to Christ. These rituals, the Mosaic law that we see in the Old Testament has actually already been fulfilled in Christ. These shadows were meant to point to the Lord Jesus And so in verses 16 to 17, we see that these false teachers are proclaiming what's called legalism. Once more, they are adding to the gospel that has been proclaimed to the Colossians. And the problem is that when you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. When you add to the gospel, it is no longer the gospel that God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ and lived in our place, died in our place as our substitute for our sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead victorious over hell, Satan, sin, demons, and the grave. And when we add to that, it no longer becomes the gospel. Church, we do not need to add to the gospel because Jesus is sufficient. In this first exhortation, Paul is telling uh, the Colossians about these teachers that, that they're promoting legalistic te- teaching on something that has already been fulfilled. And so let me share two brief things about legalism. In the context of verses 16 to 17, legalism can be defined as 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 when individuals place Christians back under the Mosaic law, hey, you need to observe these rhythms. You need to observe these traditions. You need to observe these rituals. You need to observe these restrictions. If you observe them, then God will be pleased with you. If you do this, then God will love you. If you do this, then you are obedient to God. Once again, all of these rhythms, all of these traditions, all of these restrictions were meant to point us to the one who would come and fulfill them. And so because they are fulfilled in Christ, now we are given a new life. Additionally, legalism is adding things that aren't biblical and making them a standard upon people. Legalism is adding things to the gospel, to scripture that are not biblical and making them a standard upon people. You could probably think of a few just because some of them are ridiculous and funny. No dancing. Whoever does that has a boring life, right? No caffeine, also boring, right? I've heard stories. Like, here's the thing: I, I wasn't raised in the, in, in, within the church. I, I came to know Jesus in my early 20s, and uh, and so when I would hear stories from 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 some of you uh, from previous churches where there were arguments over the carpet, like what color the carpet should be, uh, a, a friend of mine once told me that there was literally a, a church uh, back in his hometown who who split because they added a uh, Uh, handrails outside the building so so that people can hold on to them, I guess. (laughs) Dumb. Anyway. Legalism is when things that aren't biblical are made standard, and then you hold them to people. I I don't know what your thing is, because then if I were to tell you, that would be legalism but here's the truth about legalism in its entirety. Legalism holds Christians back because it brings about self-righteousness or despair. Look at what I've done, I can't do it. I think Izzy said this really well from the stage, legalism robs the Christian of God's grace for them. It holds the people of God back from pursuing holiness, from pursuing righteousness. Legalism reduces the work of Christ on the cross because it suggests that his work on the cross was ineffective and that you, self-righteously, have to improve upon it. When we add to the gospel, we lose the gospel. Therefore, do not substitute substance for the shadows. Verse 18 and 19, I want you to notice that the pattern is similar. He gives an exhortation and then he reminds them of what is better or greater. Verse, uh, verse seven, or excuse me, 18, he starts it similarly. Let no one disqualify you. The word disqualify here is is meant to say that these false teachers are condemning or belittling the Colossians because their walk isn't really a true walk in Christ because they are lacking now they're lacking experiences and certain spiritual disciplines. So not only were they first being criticized or condemned because they weren't holding to the Mosaic law, but now they're also being criticized because they're lacking certain experiences, they are not as disciplined in certain endeavors And at the same time, they are not having certain visions. And so now they're being criticized because they don't have some of this spirituality. And so in verses 16 to 17, where Paul addresses legalism here in 18 and 19, he is addressing something called mysticism. Another blend of hyperspiritual beliefs, particularly, and you see this word in a moment, particularly something called asceticism. And so, much like verses 16 to 17, here's what I want you to remember. Don't substitute Christian maturity for mysticism. 16 to 17, do not substitute substance for the shadows. 18 and 19, do not substitute maturity for mysticism. Paul continues. Let no one disqualify you, insisting. So they're pressing this, they're putting pressure on the Colossians, insisting you on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. And so these false teachers are practicing this thing called asceticism, which is this rigorous self-discipline of the body where they restrict themselves from food and drink and other enjoyments. And many scholars and theologians would argue that uh, this intense form of fasting, from whatever it was, but this intense form of fasting, they would uh, go into long periods of time so that this fasting would inab- inevitably induce these visions. You could argue, though I wouldn't say that it says it here in the text, just to be clear, you could argue, you would say, well, if they've restricted themselves from so much, maybe they're hallucinating. Maybe. I don't know. That's not what it says, but maybe. Nevertheless, they would fast from these uh, enjoyments. They would uh, later on in the text Paul says that that their practices are severe to the body, and so they are very, very disciplined. um, But the purpose of their discipline is actually very self-righteous, selfish, and arrogant. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, But let me be clear. If you are a disciplined individual, it doesn't mean you shouldn't not be disciplined. I'm just—it's not going to get you closer to the Lord. Whatever. Here we go. So they're restricting themselves from food and drink and other enjoyments. And these restrictions or these fasting would be what would induce the visions that they were having. And as they were beginning to have these visions, we see here that Paul says that they're beginning to worship angels. In other words, they would have these uh, visions or they would restrict their bodies so much and so intensely that it looks as if they're actually worshiping angels. In addition to that, some scholars would argue that uh, they would come before, for instance, angels and say that they are not worthy to go before God. And so that's why they would go to these angels and it would look like they are worshiping these angels so that the angels would essentially petition for them on their behalf to God. The problem with this is that one, Scripture teaches that we are not to worship angels. Number two, there is a mediator between God and men, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the one who gives the Christian access to the Father because of his work and the Holy Spirit residing in the Christian. Paul says it this way in in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you can approach the throne of grace. You can come before God in confidence because of what Jesus has done for you. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You can go before God yourself. You have access to the Father. Why else would He call you son or daughter? Paul continues in this text. He says that they practice asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. These false teachers were looked at as spiritual, like they were looked at as spiritual gurus because of their intense discipline. And the irony of their spirituality is that they would tell everyone and anyone who would listen to them about these visions. And that should tell you something about a false teacher. When an individual is preaching or teaching, you want to ask the question who is it that's being exalted? And here he says that they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. You want to ask who's the one that's being exalted? Because here Paul says that they are puffed up. In other words, they are inflated. He's talking about their arrogance, their pride. He is talking about their spiritual elitism. It's a false humility. Them saying, man, if you have these experiences, if you restrict yourself from these things, you will actually have true spirituality. You will actually be closer to God. And the irony of their preaching, of their proclamation, is that they are belittling Christians. And they are elevating themselves, saying, look how spiritually elite we are because of our discipline. And so they are looking for everyone and anyone who would listen to them about their visions, talking about their own self-righteousness and their own arrogance. Paul says that they are puffed up without reason. In other words, what they're proclaiming has no substance. It has; They have absolutely no maturity. Saying that they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. That word sensuous is translated to unspiritual, meaning that they are void of Christ. Their teaching is void of Christ and by definition is, quote, of the flesh. That is, that they're really just satisfying their own passions and their own desires. There's actually nothing spiritual about what they're doing. And in doing so, he concludes in verse 19, in doing so, they don't hold fast to the head, which is Christ that they are completely severed and disconnected from the head from whom the whole body nourished, the whole body, that is the church, the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Church, we need to know that Christ provides vital nutrients to us as we grow in maturity and in him. The anatomy of who we are is nourished by Christ. Therefore, Hold fast to Christ. Similar to the text from from Easter when we're looking at Hebrews 12, Paul says, looking to Jesus, turning away from something and turning towards someone or something. Looking to Jesus. Concentrate on Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Stand firm in what Jesus has done for you. don't be distracted by mysticism. Mysticism promotes idolatry, anything that takes the place of God, anything that you would actually make equivalent to God. And in doing so, it actually keeps us from Jesus. Mysticism gives the outward appearance of spirituality, but inwardly, it lacks actual transformation. There is actually no fruit in mysticism. Mysticism is all sizzle and no steak. Mysticism stifles Christian growth. It actually hurts people because it exalts the individual and their self-righteousness or a false god. The gospel, however, exalts Christ. Dr. Stephen Lawson on this verse of Scripture goes on to say about these false teachers they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's, but the problem is they're misspelling the word. Do not substitute Christian maturity rooted in the person of Christ, nourished by the head that is Christ. Do not substitute Christian maturity for mysticism. And finally, verses 20 to 23, Paul tells the Colossians not to confuse the remarkable for regeneration. Beginning with if. This could actually be translated to the word since. In other words, he's saying, since with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Here's what he's telling the Colossians. In Christ you have died to the world opposition to god things that are not godly you have died to them you have died to them and with christ you have been made alive your heart is made new you are being transformed by the holy spirit so if you're a christian why do you still live as you are submitted to the world And specifically, when we're talking about the world, we're talking about opposition to God, hostility to God. Things or uh, things that, that, that actually rebel against God. Why would you still live as if you're submitted to them? That's what Paul is asking them. And here's the thing about that word submit. It's not just meaning submission. It's meaning that you believe that living a certain way, or as he's telling the Colossians, like living a certain way, living this way that these false teachers are talking about, you believe that this is actually going to bring you closer to God. But I thought, I thought you died to that. I thought you died to that. And so that's why Paul opens, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? continuing, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These restrictions perish. These rhythms are according to human precepts. They're not according to Christ and what he has done. They're void of Christ. Now, now here's the reason this was something that was becoming so influential in Colossae. See, in Colossae, uh, many of these individuals were of Jewish background, And so some of these false teachers could really press, for instance, the Mosaic Law because they were already used to withholding from from some of this food and drink. And so these false teachers are ultimately pressing in on, man, some of the struggles that they're having as they're beginning to walk in Christ. And so you could argue that they're, they're, they're young Christians. They're growing in Christ right now. They're a young church, just like we're a young church. And so they are pressing the Mosaic law onto them because they're weak in this area or they're still growing in this area elsewhere in, in Acts 10, God tells Peter, hey, get up, go and eat, go kill and eat. That's like a wonderful hunter's verse, right? Go up, kill and eat. And what does Peter say? He's like, no, no, I, I can't do that. Like Peter is still struggling with the fact that, yeah, man, you could go kill a hog and have you some, Right? But, but, it, but it, is, it is a tension that he has. And so many of these individuals at Colossae are experiencing that same tension. And so these false teachers are pressing all kinds of spirituality and all kinds of things that have already been fulfilled. And so you would see why they would kind of be influenced to begin to adopt them or go or be persuaded by that. But Paul is telling them, not only have these things been fulfilled in Christ, some of these other forms of spirituality Are actually void of Christ. And he continues here in verses 20 to 23 saying, these that is the practices these spiritual beliefs these disciplines all that we've been talking about everything from the shadows everything from mysticism this syncretistic teaching just a bunch of stuff a little bit of the mosaic law a little bit of jesus a little bit of mysticism a little bit of this and a little bit of that what he's saying these teachings have indeed an appearance of wisdom These restrictions, these rhythms, these disciplines, it actually looks impressive because they're super disciplined. It looks impressive. It's it's attractive because it looks like they know what they're talking about. It's remarkable because it has the appearance of wisdom and godliness, but in the end, it actually promotes self-made hope. Paul continues in saying, promoting self-made religion and asceticism, we talked about that earlier, and severity to the body. He's saying, these false teachers, I should say, they are saying, yes, Jesus and syncretism. Jesus and these other practices, rituals, traditions, and beliefs. This is what will make you truly spiritual. And the truth is we're not immune to this today. If you have uh, been wanting to read a book, I suggest picking up uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, The Screwtape Letters. One of my favorite. And if you haven't read it, it's a fictional account of uh, this demon named Screwtape. And he is writing to his young apprentice, Wormwood. Right? And he is writing to Wormwood to communicate how to handle uh, humans. Right? And in this one letter uh, in the book, I think it would be referred to as chapter 25. But uh, in this one letter, um, Screwtape writes to Wormwood so that he would... Um, he writes to him so that he would engage Christians or how to engage Christians. Anyway, it should be up on the screen. Here's what he says. Here's what Screwtape is telling Wormwood. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them be Christians with a difference. Substitute the faith itself some fashion with Christian coloring. Work on their horror of the same old thing. An endless source of heresies in religion folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. That's what these false teachers are promoting in Colossae, Christianity and. And once again, we're not immune to this. Do you have an and to Jesus, Christian? Perhaps it's Jesus and a career, Jesus and my family. Maybe for some of you, it's Jesus and theology. You love to read those dense books and you're worried about this sermon, but not the condition of your heart. Jesus and the saints, that the saints are a mediator to God when Christ Jesus is the only mediator between God and men. Jesus and the Enneagram. what else? In our context, here in McAllen, you might hear things like, uh, or you might come to see that there is this almost syncretistic belief because of where we are. You might see indigenous rituals that have come over from Mexico and that we've adopted as our own. So we have indigenous rituals mixed with Roman Catholicism, mixed with a little bit of uh, uh, even like charismatic approach. And, and the thing about that is that that morphs and distorts a message that is kind of familiar down here and it's kind of acceptable. And then the truth about it is, particularly within the church, it gives... Uh, traditions like the charismatic tradition a bad reputation but we're not immune to that we're not immune to syncretism and so we need as paul says we need to be careful when you go back to chapter 1 verse 28 he says him we proclaim teaching everyone warning everyone this is the ministry of warning we're not immune to syncretism. We're not immune to adding to the gospel. Paul concludes in verse 23 saying, They are of no value. These beliefs, this syncretistic teaching, these rituals, these experiences, this kind of discipline, it is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Earlier last week, or in the middle of last week, we started a class on spiritual warfare. And I taught on what the flesh means or what the flesh is. And it, it is when the Bible uses the term the flesh, it is not just referring to the physical body. It is referring specifically to our internal desire to rebel against God our internal desire to rebel against God. So when Paul writes that these beliefs are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, they are of no value to us in actually putting our sin to death. These values don't help us put our sin to death. These values don't help us to resist temptation. These values and beliefs have zero armor. They don't provide protection to our mind. And all of them, or excuse me, all of these beliefs do not promote the new self in Christ. All of these teachings actually leave you defenseless. You are full in Christ because of the sufficiency of Christ. And the sufficiency of Christ is met in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. If you like church history, there's a church father named Jerome. He lived in the 3rd and 4th centuries. And in one of his letters, he goes on to write about his, um, how he thought he could conquer, specifically, lust sexual desire. And so what he does is he moves to a desert far, far away from the city and everything going on in the city so that he would enter into this rigorous self-discipline. If I just remove myself from the city, I'll be good. And here's what he writes. In the remotest part of a wild and sharp desert, which being burnt up with the heats of the scorching sun, strikes with horror and terror, even the monks that inhabit it. So even the people that are really trying to pursue uh, uh, true spirituality, these monks that are really wanting to dive into their spirituality are actually burning up because it's, you know, it's 100 plus degrees like the valley. And so anyway, he goes on, I seemed to myself to be in the midst of the delights and assemblies of Rome. He starts remembering the city of Rome. In this exile and prison, the desert, to which, for the fear of hell, I had voluntarily condemned myself, having no other company but scorpions and wild beasts, I many times found my imagination filled with lively representations of dances in the company of Roman ladies, as if I had been in the midst of them. So he moves to the desert, his best friend is a scorpion, And he has a neighbor for a snake. He's around a bunch of other people who don't want to be there either. (laughs) And as he's doing that, he's thinking, man, I'm going to move to the desert. This is what's going to solve my problem with lust. I'm going to enter into this rigorous rigorous form of self-discipline. I'm going to get myself away from the city. I'm going to get myself away from the ladies. I'm going to get myself away from everything that's going on. And if I just ridiculously restrict myself and commit myself to being in the heat with these monks and this one spider, I will make it. And he says, and even in the desert, along with my pet spider, right, and these monks that don't want to be there, my flesh still leads me to my imagination of being with the Roman ladies. See, because if we stomped at his discipline of going to the desert, it would look remarkable. Man, this guy went out to the desert. Homeboy took his pet spider and went out to the desert, and he's just hanging out under the sun. Doesn't even care how hot it is, right? Before sunscreen, right? Before, like, charros, before all this different kind of stuff. And, uh, man, he's just out there going at it with the enemy. Now you're dumb. Right? like It looks impressive. It looks attractive. It's remarkable. You would want to actually say, man, that's awesome. If only I had that discipline. He's saying it doesn't work. That's what he's telling you. It doesn't work. It is only through the regeneration of a new heart. The regeneration of of a new heart given by the Holy Spirit where where He brings us from spiritual death to, to spiritual life where He transforms the person and enables them to put their sin to death to resist temptation and to pursue holiness because the Holy Spirit dwells, resides in the believer. It is only through a new heart that we are able to put our sin to death and pursue righteousness. And so what must we do As Christians, as the church, what must we do? We must stay focused upon Christ, we must concentrate upon the Lord Jesus. We must consider Christ with precision and accuracy. We must stand firm in him. We must uh, have the word of God dwelling in us richly. That is something that Paul tells the, the Colossians uh, in the next chapter in verse 16. Let the word of God dwell richly in you. Christian. Some, some, some Christians are willing to try everything and anything Except surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Accept to consider Jesus. Accept to think deeply upon Jesus. Accept to keep their eyes and concentrate on Jesus. Accept to think deeply and passionately and accurately about the Lord Jesus. Paul tells them in the next chapter in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And how, how, how do we fight back against syncretism? How do we keep ourselves from legalism and mysticism and a variety of other beliefs? Man, we focus ourselves on Christ. We concentrate upon the Lord Jesus. We consider Christ Deeply, accurately, precisely, passionately, do not substitute regeneration for what is remarkable. And so as we close, Christian, what do you add to the gospel? What is your and? See, what's difficult about this part is that we're going to have to reflect on the condition of our heart. We might even confess sin right now and what's going to make that hard is that we actually have to think we have to think about our sin we have to consider our self-righteousness and our self-righteousness and our pride and our arrogance must be stripped right now and so it's easier to think about something else it's easier to think about someone else i don't want you to think about someone else i want you to consider your heart And it's easy to consider others and other things because you just don't want to be alone with your thoughts right now, but that's exactly what we're going to do right now. So, what is your and? Do you submit to standards that aren't biblical? It doesn't mean that they're not helpful, but at the end of the day, they're not biblical. Do you submit to them? And do you judge others for not keeping those standards? Who is it that you are listening to? What are they preaching? Who are they preaching? Christians aren't immune from syncretism, from spam. Christians aren't immune from trying anything but Jesus, which is ironic. So, Christian, how much do you actually consider Christ? Confess your sin this morning, be humbled this morning. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are here on earth. And if you don't know Jesus, I am thankful to God that you are here. See, apart from Christ, you are in bondage. You are parched by dissatisfaction and estranged from God. Yet in Christ there is life, a new life, given and made available to you. Christ pardons all who turn from their sin and turn to Him, professing Him as Lord and Savior. A new heart is promised, new desires call upon the Lord Jesus today. Church, the sufficiency of Christ is met in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Almighty God, in your presence, we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your word, your ways, and your will, wasting your gifts and forgetting your love. Lord, would you have mercy on us? Lord, we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease You. Forgive us our sins and help us to live in Your light and walk in Your ways for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Holy Spirit, lead us to walk in a manner that is worthy and pleasing to You. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable to You. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.